again with the 27th installment of Down Home Fear. My name is Hunter Keegan. I'm here today with another episode for you. I think you guys are going to dig this. It's very unique, I think. I think you'll uh, be a little surprised and intrigued by some of these dope stories. I... uh, You know, I try to look for stories for this show that are not necessarily the most well-known stories. I mean, the early episodes, we did really high-profile stuff like Casey Anthony and Eileen Warnos and people like that. But over the uh, intervening period, I became more interested in obscure stories and so um the topic for today is cave systems i know you guys think you've heard it all murder debauchery cannibalism kidnapping stalking animal attacks ghost ships haunted asylums but we've never really covered earth itself so there's a saying that i like that i picked up somewhere along the way on my life journey And the saying goes, nature is not good or evil, nature just is. And what could be more indifferent than dirt, clay, and stone? Solemn and mindless, the earth sits beneath us, waiting for us to return to the dirt. And just because we're on dry land doesn't mean we're on solid ground. into the southern states. They are dark, cold, damp, full of bats and other freaky creatures. Why the fuck would anyone want to explore a cave? Is a question that I asked myself multiple times while researching this episode. And then I remembered that I actually had gone caving multiple times as a kid growing up in the great state of Virginia. During summer camp, I had gone on guided expeditions into a winding network of cramped tunnels that stretched beneath Shenandoah National Park. And I'm not talking about a tourist attraction. We rappelled down into the caverns and we used headlamps as we crawled through pitch black darkness with water dripping all over us from the ceiling. Some of the tunnels were so narrow that I could barely squeeze my thin frame between the coarse rock and stone and I had never seen such intense darkness before. There were spiders, it was creepy, but it was also sort of rad, but I don't think I'd necessarily see myself doing it every weekend. And of course, there's another type of caving, which involves completely unknown caverns, cave systems that man has never set foot in, and that some people feel driven to explore, document, and find solitude or something in I don't know what do what do people look for in caves solitude darkness approximately 50 people each year are involved in caving accidents the accidents range from getting lost to incurring traumatic injuries to dying of hypothermia and in a fate that otherwise would have been completely avoidable enterprising men and women lose their lives in the jaws of the earth trapped suffocating freezing in bleak voids deep underground (laughs) 
With all of this in mind, I reached into the archives and found a variety of different stories telling of caving accidents and fatalities. Usually we select two main stories to cover in each episode of Down Home Fear, but this time I have a fun list of different incidents that will make you think twice about going into a cave or maybe simply remind you not to crawl into dark holes in the middle of the woods. April 28, 2019. In a CBS article that began by describing the location of the accident as, quote, a cave in southwest Virginia, 180 miles east of Roanoke, which is one of the most confusing and non-descriptive explanations of where something is located that I've ever heard, a group of explorers were lost somewhere beneath Russell County. Six men had entered the so-called Cyclops Cave around 7 o'clock p.m. and apparently had intended to spend the night camping underground and having a super fun time. The men were all middle-aged, had not brought the proper equipment with them, and had entered the cave system right before a torrential downpour. The cave became flooded in the storm, and the men, who by that time were about 120 feet down, were trapped in a small room formed between the walls of rock, and they were waist-deep in frigid water. Escape seemed doubtful. The men had brought little food with them, and even worse, they were quickly succumbing to hypothermia. After around 24 hours of this, one man was able to swim through the murky depths and reach the surface of Cyclops Cave. He alerted authorities, and a network of volunteer cave rescue specialists assembled and coordinated the men's rescue, which took about 16 hours. The cave was small and claustrophobic, and rescuers initially had trouble reaching the men. But once they made contact, they were able to provide the trapped group of men with warm beverages and food and managed to keep them alive until each of the five were able to be brought back to the surface, giving them a chance to cave another day. Like myself, you may have been surprised to hear that there is a specialized team of volunteer cave rescuers. I too wondered, who's in charge of that whole thing? What's it about? Tell me more. The National Cave Rescue Commission, NCRC, is a dedicated team of caving experts who specialize in rescuing fellow cavers from emergency situations like this one in Cyclops Cave. The group consists of hundreds of dedicated men and women who risk their lives to save other people who enjoy crawling into strange, dangerous places. It was chartered in 1979 by the National Speleological Society. Speleological is a very difficult word to pronounce, and it means the scientific study of caves. That's what it translates to. They hold annual seminars and workshops where they educate cavers about rescue techniques and other great information on how to survive. This is what we train for. One of the rescuers, Eric Stanley, told local reporters. We brought them some food and warm beverages and warmed them up, and then we rigged some hail lines to bring them up. Worth noting, the cave is located on private property, which the men did not have permission to enter, and they are the only group of people who have ever been trapped in that particular cave. 
But these misfortunes certainly don't end there. Let's talk about another story. June 18th, 1990, New Trout Cave, West Virginia. It was a Monday morning, and Gary Lutz had brought his two sons, aged 9 and 13, into a 4.5-mile-long cave. New Trout Cave was well-traveled and a popular destination for tourists, such as Mr. Lutz, who was visiting from Florida. Lutz and his sons were equipped with headlamps, but the lamps actually died after just around a half hour in the cave. They were using those carbide headlamps, which are those super old-school looking headlamps that have like a burning flame in them, and they shine a light against a mirror, and then it projects out. It looks like something out of an old-school cartoon. And all three of these headlamps failed, so the dad and his two sons subsequently found themselves crawling around in complete darkness. The cave was 54 degrees, and the trio had nowhere near enough water to sustain themselves in the dark cave. As the days passed by, they remained underground in a bleak limbo, developing chest pains, ragged coughs, shortness of breath, and severe dehydration. Eventually, they laid on the floor of the cave in complete exhaustion, resigning themselves to their fate, and they said prayers and tried to find peace with the finality of their misadventure. But luckily for these tourists, a resident who lived nearby New Trout Cave noticed that the family's car had been parked near the cave entrance for several days. Using his best judgment, the resident contacted his friend who worked with the Potomac Speleological Society, and an investigation commenced. The new trout cave system consists of four separate caves, and it was unclear which of the four caves Gary Lutz and his sons had entered, which greatly complicated the search. The National Cave Rescue Commission later reported that Lutz was said to have been a, quote, squeeze freak which I guess is caver slang for liking to squeeze between rocks, like some kind of worm. And this made rescuers worry that he may have entered an especially inaccessible region of the caves. But after days of search parties finding no sign of the three cavers, one of them found Carrie's backpack. By this time, the rescuers assumed that the trio had perished deep underground. But in a last-ditch effort, they called out into the cave and were shocked when their calls were answered by raspy voices echoing through the tunnels. Gary and his two kids were brought to the surface, where they immediately were taken to a local hospital to treat their severe dehydration and other physical deterioration. Gary the Squeeze Freak went on to admit that he had left the backpack full of emergency gear in one of the tunnels of the cave so that he could slide more easily between the rock features of an area of the cave known as the maze. That's what they called it, the maze. One of the boys recalled, Dad looked nervous as their headlamps flickered out one by one in the complex, sprawling labyrinth. But we do have to give credit where credit is due. Mr. Lutz made a couple of wise decisions after he realized the gravity of the situation. He remained calm as the kids repeatedly asked, Are we going to get out of here? And their father assured them, Yeah, I just got to think. After much thinking, he used the remnants of the carbide filaments in their headlamps, combined with his own urine, and lit the makeshift lamp for a few brief moments so he and his sons could crawl to a safer section of the cave away from sudden deadly drops. And that's where they remained for the next five days. Gary followed the first rule of survival, 
which is to stay put. Going no further than he and the boys already had likely contributed to the fact that they had survived. While trapped underground in the darkness, the three cavers huddled together, experiencing visual and auditory hallucinations while crying until their dehydrated bodies could no longer produce tears, this is what they told us later, and eventually they drifted in and out of sleep until being discovered by the rescuers a few days later. And thus concluded the absolute shittiest vacation of all time. The family returned to their home in Florida, and in a subsequent interview, Gary told a reporter, the boys, I'm noticing little differences in them, but I can't quite put my finger on it. And I believe that little difference is known as PTSD. I know what you're thinking. Why have all these people survived? I want to hear fucked up shit. And I have good news for you. 81 caving fatalities occurred between 1980 and 2008, which is the most recent comprehensive statistical report I could find. I know it's from 12 years ago. I'm sorry. But around one third of all fatalities involved men between the ages of 20 to 29. And of the 81 total fatalities, 84% of the victims who died were male which I think is interesting. Common causes of dying in a cave are drowning, falling, and even exposure to toxic gases that are sometimes trapped deep underground. Studies indicate that proper planning and safety measures are the key factor in preventing deaths while caving, not unlike virtually any other extreme situation. But even experienced cavers can quickly find themselves in deadly situations as they explore the dark tunnels and caverns of the southern United States. Take Jeff Snyder, a college student who was exploring a cave in Pig Hole, Virginia, with a friend. The year was 1988, and both were experienced cavers who attended cave club meetings at Virginia Tech, and they had come to Pig Hole Cave equipped with proper helmets, lights, and ropes. Despite having the proper gear, Jeff and his friend still weren't properly prepared. They had not climbed in this particular cave before, and they had not realized that certain sections contained extreme drops. While attempting to climb down a slope in the cave, Jeff slipped on mud and within an instant had fallen 60 feet straight down onto the rocky floor below. His friend could hear him moaning faintly from the bottom of the pit, and he ran out of the cave looking for help, but by the time rescuers arrived, Jeff had died from his injuries. The primary cause of death was a 2-inch wide, 6-inch long skull fracture. He had also sustained fractures and dislocations in his femur, hip, and lower left leg. The caving community disagrees over whether the accident was due to bad luck or lack of experience. Some claim that Jeff had been doing everything by the book and had encountered a dangerous and unexpected hazard, whereas others state that he should have been using a rope and harness to save him from dangerous falls in that type of situation. Falls aren't the only thing that can kill you in a cave, of course. You can have an incident like the one that happened to Floyd Collins way back in 1925. Floyd was a famed cave explorer who had extensively mapped Mammoth Cave, located in western Kentucky. 
Mammoth Cave is now a national park, and it encompasses the largest cave system in the world. Floyd had been exploring a new section of Mammoth Cave, squeezing between narrow openings in the rock and discovering new rooms and passages some 50 feet underground. On this particular expedition, Floyd was hurrying back to the cave entrance, but his headlamp flickered out, and in the darkness he accidentally pinned one of his legs beneath a rock. Unable to free his leg, rescuers discovered him the next day, and they tried to find a way to release him from the grasp of the cold, uncaring cave. Sadly for Floyd, he was unable to break free, and after five days, he succumbed to exposure and exhaustion, and he lost his life just a mere 150 feet from the cave's entrance. Floyd's body was buried briefly in Kentucky, but after the land was sold by his family, a new owner exhumed the body and placed it in a glass-topped coffin and displayed it as an exhibition for tourists, and then the body got stolen sometime in 1929 and partially recovered, and then placed back in the very cave Floyd had lost his life in, now affixed to the rocks in a chained casket. But by 1961, the National Park Service purchased that section of the cave, and Floyd's surviving family members said that they didn't like his body being displayed in the cave as some sort of weird tourist shrine, and the National Park Service agreed to remove his body and inter him at a Baptist cemetery located in the park where it finally rests in peace to this day. It is missing a leg, though. Surviving and dying, it seems that's all we're ever really doing, and what worse place to do it in than a cave? Just reading these articles was stressing me out. The nature of the environment and the potential for slow, horrific death gives me anxiety. Looking at maps of cave systems in the United States is pretty fascinating, though. The vast majority of them are located in the eastern United States, with many of them concentrated in Kentucky, Tennessee, and the Virginias. There are thousands of miles of caves throughout the country. Mammoth Cave is the largest in the world and is over 400 miles long, all by itself. And some people venture into these cave systems and never leave. Sometimes they aren't found for weeks, or months, or even years. The superstitious ones among us would suggest some souls never leave, and that they remain trapped in the hollows for eternity and haunt the silent passages. Their mysteriousness, creepy atmosphere, and true deadliness makes caves a great setting for a ghost story. At DHF, we love all things supernatural and have selected a couple of reportedly haunted southern caves to discuss. Cave X is located in Carter County, Kentucky. Thousands of people enjoy the cave and surrounding state park each year. Many of them leave with fond memories of the natural beauty and unique features of the land. However, it is said that a paranormal presence appears in the dark caverns from time to time. Visitors have said that they hear whispers, that they hear people creeping close behind them, and even see mysterious apparitions in photographs that they've taken deep in the caves. Legend has it that Cave Axe is home to the spirits of two Cherokee Indians whose love transcends time and space. According to the legend, a forbidden romance had sparked between a warrior and a princess. 
The warrior used the cave as a place to secretly craft gifts for the princess. The cave contained large deposits of silver, and the warrior was able to craft the jewelry and give it to the princess to earn her respect and her trust. The warrior left one day and found himself caught in a vicious battle with a nearby tribe, and when he didn't return, the princess was overcome with despair. Fearing that her lover had died, she committed suicide by jumping off of a tall cliff near the warrior's cave. But the warrior did return, and when he did, he found his lover's body resting near the cave entrance. Solemnly, he brought her body into the cave and held vigil while news of her death spread throughout the rest of the tribe. The chief, the princess's father, considered the warrior responsible for the death and sentenced him to be executed. But the warrior had one final request. He wished to meet his fate in the cave where he had placed the princess's body. The rest of the tribe watched as he entered the mouth of the cave and was never seen again. Many years later, explorers discovered a pair of skeletons deep in the cave, entwined in a loving embrace and decorated with silver jewelry. And so it's said that their spirits remain in cave acts and make their presence known to the visitors who pass through. In another cave, also located in Kentucky, except this one is near Louisville, which is also home to the haunted Waverly Hills Sanatorium that we've discussed in a previous episode, paranormal investigators have claimed that a spiritual force lurks in Sauerkraut Cave. This cave is unique because it's man-made and located in a fairly urban environment. It sits in the woods of E.P. Tom Sawyer Park near a small archery range, and the cave's entrance is large and opens out of the side of a hill that has been reinforced with brick walls and pillars and covered in graffiti. It's rumored that the caves may have once been used as a hideout for gangsters and smugglers in the 1920s. The entrance of the cave opens into a series of large rooms with low ceilings and muddy floors. A shallow concrete aqueduct runs the length of one of the tunnels and cinder blocks and trash are scattered throughout. Lakeland Asylum, somewhat of a contemporary of Waverly Hills Sanatorium, was located near the cave. And a variety of stories claim that Sauerkraut Cave was used as an escape route for mentally ill patients. Others claim that the tunnels were used to secretly dispose of dead infants who had been born in the asylum out of wedlock. At night, the sounds of crying children and the sounds of footsteps echo throughout the cave. The voice of a young girl calling out for her mother comes from the far reaches of the decrepit rooms and terrifies those foolish enough to visit the ruins. Then we have Cave Spring, located in the state of Georgia. It is considered to be the seventh most haunted location in the state by some paranormal researchers. It's now a tourist attraction, but historically it's been home to American Indians and eventually European settlers. The name of the town is Cave Spring, and it does in fact include a cave. The cave is wide and has a tall ceiling, and visitors can easily walk through the main tunnel as guides tell of the strange stories associated with the caverns. Georgia is one of the most haunted places in the United States. It's infamous for its haunted history, including the city of Savannah, Civil War battlefields, and centuries-old cemeteries. 
This cave contains a pristine water source that bubbles out of the white, smooth walls of the caverns, and that some have believed to be sacred. Some residents even regularly fill up jugs with the supposedly enchanted water and take it home with them to consume. Cave Spring and the small town named after it are host to many paranormal occurrences outside of the cave as well. Construction workers report their equipment mysteriously breaking down and being tampered with. The actual cave was once used as a hangout where drinking and gambling went down outside the eye of the law, and violence and debauchery were said to have occurred in the once sacred location. Blue orbs are periodically seen shooting around the cave. Perhaps the darkness of the caverns extends over the whole town of Cave Spring. Who knows what secrets the ancient tunnels may hide. We would be remiss not to mention the Bell Witch Cave in Tennessee. The Bell Witch Cave was already covered in an early episode of DHF, but it is indeed an actual cave located in eastern Tennessee. By far the most famous haunted location in the state, and one of the most popular supernatural legends of all time. Caving accidents, deaths, and hauntings stretch throughout the United States. These stories were just a few of them. Moving away from the spiritual aspect of things, I think the very nature of these large cave systems is terrifying. The prospect of a dark, lonely, painful demise lurks around every corner and creates a stifling, grim atmosphere. Meanwhile, most of these caves are the product of millions and millions of years of geological phenomena. The skeletons of prehistoric rivers and glaciers outlined beneath the earth that we walk upon. Their beauty is epic but foreboding, and it attracts many intrepid explorers despite their inherent danger. Thank you for listening. This was episode 27 of Down Home Fear. My name is Hunter Keegan. I'll probably be back again, and now that this third season is on a roll, I feel like I want to see it out for at least a couple more episodes, despite that I'm losing my voice literally as we speak. Once it recovers, we'll do a couple more. If you have a story that you'd like to hear featured in one of these episodes, let me know. Twitter at hhkeegan or email at hunterhkeegan at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. This has been awesome.